find Truth and preservation of our soul shine I can feel it, yours and mine Close your eyes and witness it inside In your bones, you will know Trust and let go All Things in the Name of Love, Episode 18, Relationships and Stepping into the Grace of Who You Really Are with Bill Dolan, an Emmy-nominated TV director, author, and speaker. Bill is the president and creative director of Spirit Media, a digital video marketing agency specializing in video production, live event production, and direction, webcasting, and content marketing for profit and nonprofit organizations. Bill has produced live events for 500 to 250,000 people, directed national and international broadcasts for millions, and has acted as director and creative consultant for hundreds of organizations, from Fortune 500 companies to global ministries. In 1999, Bill had a death experience that challenged his worldview and approach to communication and marketing. Years of research led him to write the book, The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing. Today, he is a recognized authority, national speaker, and workshop trainer of the 7DRM strategy. Bill, it is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Oh, Erica, I am so thrilled to be here with you. Thank you. I mean, we met, what, like seven or eight years ago, and I was doing voiceovers, and I just, I always felt this connection with you, and I didn't at the time really understand it. Well, I I totally agree. We totally connected, and it's been fun to, you know, just stay connected, and and the journey you've been on, the journey I've been on, I mean, it's fun to bring it full circle and, and to be able to have the chance to talk about it today. Yeah, because, you know, for me, my journey really, really started, I've been I've been meditating for 10 years, but what happened was about three and a half years ago, the Paris bombings happened and I listened to a meditation and I snapped. I was like, I need to do something deeper than just a meditation. I have to commit myself to something. And I I just, at the end of the meditation, I I said, I'm taking a vow of peace. That's powerful. I had no idea what it meant. Yeah. (laughs) Because... You know, I was like, just, I just have to, because, you know, I have a background as an historian and I could, I just couldn't do it anymore. It was so much. I was just so sick of the violence and so sick of, of all of it that I was just like, okay, I'm done. And I had to divest myself of all the authors I read. I stopped watching television. I stopped watching movies and I even changed what I listened to because and it took six months to do this because I just, I, I was just like so overwhelmed. And I feel that's a place where a lot of people are in our society right now. And that was what called me to create this podcast uh, because I know what it feels like. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think right now there's a, a culture um, that's pervasive you know in our world of that very feeling so I think you you not only felt something deeply personal but I think you tapped into the energy that's happening all around us yeah and and I'm I'm hoping because this is not my ego my ego is saying why are you doing a podcast but I'm hoping that that by sharing stories 
we can help other people get past that fear of the of the what happens if we're not paying attention, what happens if we shut down and actually tune in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's certainly, I know we'll get to it, but that that is the essence of a lot of things I've discovered in this journey over the last 20 years. And in fact, if we can just hit on one of them right now. Oh, please. Yeah. I was just talking with somebody today. And at, at really the heart of of our life experience, but the centerpiece of it is relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to be really honest, relationships are really hard. <laughs> they, they just are. I mean, we want to kind of, you know, gloss, you know, and uh, poetic about them. And certainly there's beauty in relationships and there's wonder in relationships and there's richness in relationships. And there's just a quad load of hard work. <laughs> because, People, I mean, everybody comes from a unique perspective, mm-hmm. and everybody, and I do not know anybody. If there's someone, you know, someone who listens to your podcast and say, wait, I'm the exception, I actually have had a perfect life, and everything <laughs> about my life has been, you know, daisies and sunshine, please call in, talk to Erica. I'm sure you should be on the show. The rest of us have experienced triumph mixed and punctuated with tragedy mm-hmm. and tragedy that uh, sometimes causes emotional bruising that we can't see, some scarring we can't see, tender areas we can't see, but they're real. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes those relationships hard. But as long as you recognize this is one of the most powerful and wonderful experiences we can have in in humanities to have these relationships know that it's worth the work it's absolutely worth the work it totally is i i um i became a community garden manager this year and i did it because i wanted to create community and and the garden i was working at there were 50 some odd people that didn't talk to each other well what i didn't know (laughs) was that it's a minefield (laughs) And these these are amazing people, and each and every one of them is amazing. And oh my gosh, just making sure that I am speaking my truth in a way that is authentic to me and not stepping on the toes or opening wounds of other people. Oh my gosh. And it's working, and it's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in that case, it's not only, you know, the relationship management, but the kind of self-vigilance mm-hmm. that says, how can I uh, be true and honorable and and uh, and faithful to where I feel I'm called to be and who I'm called to be, and but to do it in a way that's honoring and respectful and sensitive, mm-hmm. you know, to a lot going on in this world that... Uh, it just requires us, and, and that's probably the best part about it, is that it does cause us to be able to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves. But once you get some level of peace about that, that gives you the freedom to be able to look into other people's eyes and to feel them and to hear them and to honor them. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, it's a ton of work, but it is one of the most richest and rewarding ways to live. Well, I think for me, the hardest part of the work 
has been the internal work because bringing that level of awareness to myself has been such a fascinating journey of, oh, okay, if I'm getting triggered by something, it must be within. And what is the wound that I have that I need to clear so I don't get triggered by it? And I can actually hear that person instead of passing my wounds or passing what they're saying through my wounds so I can't hear them. Yeah, that's such wisdom. That's such such wisdom. It's great to be at a point where you say, oh, wait, that isn't a revelation about you. It's a revelation about me. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's just like, oh, man. And then, and then not to judge myself for it. Yeah, yeah. That's... That's been that's been a long journey of like, oh, okay, I can just observe this part of me that I didn't know I had and love it, which is a lot harder than it sounds because we're so used to judging. Mm-hmm. And and then doing my own healing on it, which is a relief when I when I get to the point where I don't have to carry that anymore. But the journey to find that unconscious thing, oh. <laughs> yeah. And consider that consider that that you know, and a little bit my backstory, and I'm sure it's a backstory for a lot of people. Is uh, I grew up in uh, an environment where there was some verbal and physical abuse, and and it's when you look at the authorities in our life when we grow up for whatever reason and I've been particularly talking with some guys about this we recognize how desperately we want to please our fathers Mm. and um, sometimes with the feeling like I'll never please my father and of course my father's passed away some, some time ago so I've been a, a wee bit relieved from that but doesn't mean that I'm not feeling the pressure from, I guess, his spirit. Mm-hmm. And and after our fathers, in the case of, of men, very commonly, the next person that is the most difficult to please is ourself. Mm-hmm. Because we either uh, will repeat the condemning language that we heard others use on us, mm-hmm. But we pick up that ugly habit of referring to ourselves in mean-spirited and condemning ways. Mm. And when you realize that the person right now that has been the most oppressive, who has been uh, the uh, you know the most difficult to get along with, is staring me in the in my eyes in the mirror. Mm. That's. Well, it's painful, but it's also a breakthrough. Yeah, it, it because you are your worst critic, and you bringing in this perspective. Because I know women are horrible at it, or or great, depending on how you want to twist that. And we're we're really experts at like finding every single thing wrong about ourselves, and to know that that's not unique to my gender is kind of a relief. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it, it's all of us it's just unique ways, but it's definitely all of us. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating 
uncovering that is going to lead me to my next question of like how you get from being unconscious to becoming aware of of that your your limitations are what's in your mind versus what you really are and so my what that's leading me to your experience back in 1999 and what has unfolded which is 20 years, so I don't, I don't expect you to put this in a small answer. But, you know, how did, what, what's, what was the major switch for you from that experience that you, that you see reverberating now? Well, I guess just to give context to those that are joining us, I mean, I'll just tell you the story yeah, and, then, and then kind of walk you through it. I mean, and you need to know that. I think all of us look through life and sometimes try to get meaning based upon the context of our of our of our upbringing and mm-hmm. the filter through which we were taught to view the world. Now, I grew up a traditional Catholic kid. Now, I was an only child, so I wasn't that traditional. But enough. <laughs> <laughs> versus, uh, you know, a lot of the other kids at our school who had I don't know six, seven. In fact, my, one of my best buddies. He had like twelve brothers and sisters. Wow! Like my like on my father's side. Wow! But so here's I'm in this only child, and and in in so and I was raised in part by uh, these uh, the priests that were Jesuits. And the Jesuits were all about learning, 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 learning. It's uh, academics and stuff like that. So keep in mind this kind of this filter that framed my worldview and the context through which I tried to understand and interpret things. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I was very fortunate at a young age to find my interest in the arts and eventually uh, to find that I was a natural television director and I I worked for the ABC affiliate in in, uh, Portland Mm -hmm. and it ended up me working as as the owner of a creative agency and I ended up traveling literally all over the country all the time. Very blessed to work with some of the you know, big stars, big companies, big projects, just everything that I did was just crazy fun. That's awesome. And um, so by by the time 1999 came along, uh, I mean, I was still thoroughly enjoying what I was doing, but I had married my high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I had now five kids. Wow. And uh, And I just, oh, my kids, I just so... I'm madly in love with them. And, uh, but as a dad, I was traveling a lot. And I was kind of having a personal household reckoning about being somewhat of an absentee dad and Mm -hmm. reconciling this is my living. But I had this opportunity to produce a documentary. And I thought, this is going to be the secret sauce. Because if I can produce a documentary, I can, you know, pour myself into my work, but I can make money on the back end through distribution, mm-hmm. and maybe I don't have to be gone as much. It would be potentially more lucrative. Mm-hmm. So we produced a documentary. It went over well. We found a distributor in Nashville that said, hey, we want to sign you. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is great. Uh, I really felt like I was on top of the world. And, and, uh, and just to be really candid, I, I was a little arrogant about it, too. It's like, <laughs> oh, now I've arrived, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm Mr. Hollywood here. And mm-hmm. and so I was hopping on a plane 
with my best buddy, uh, Timothy Greenidge. Now, for those who can't see me, I'll just let you know. I'm, I'm, I, I am um, um, a rather short in stature Irishman. <laughs> uh, I jokingly say that I'm descended from lepre- leprechauns. <laughs> but my buddy Tim is about six foot three, six foot four, uh, African-American guy. He looks like he belongs in the NFL. Nice. So the two of us, when he's traveling together, look a little odd couple-ish. <laughs> but we're hopping on the plane because the conference I'm going to in Nashville, where this distribute is going to be, has a component that 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 uh, is perfect for Tim, you know, the gospel singer. Oh, awesome! So we're flying together and feeling pretty good. Okay, we're going to go back. We're going to sign this deal. Everything's fine. And suddenly, I just started not feeling so good. And I couldn't put my finger on it. The more I thought about it, because I fly all the time. I'm never sick. I mean, like, never sick for anything. And now I'm starting to feel funny. Ooh. And, and uh, of course, I didn't say anything to Tim, but I slowly found my eyes drifting to the bag in the seat in front of me. You know, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. bag. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, no, not the bag. No, not the bag. <laughs> no. And the the more I thought about it, the more anxious I got. And, and then I started to feel more lightheaded. And it really was a point where, like, something's wrong. And I, I turned to Tim. I said, Tim, something's not right. And that's the last thing I said. Wow. And my eyes, I guess, flopped back in my head. And my arms went limp. And my heart stopped. Wow. Now, I mean, you've known me for a while, so you know I, yeah. I, I can joke and I have hopefully a good sense of humor. And Tim, yeah. if you're not, oh, he's kind of doing the dead guy on the plane joke kind of thing. That's so crazy, Bill. Then you realize, no, I wasn't, that wow. something desperately was wrong. And Tim didn't formally know CPR, but he did know like chest compression. So he started hitting me in the chest, like to try to wake me up or stir me or get my heart going. Yeah didn't work he uh then put me out in the middle of the aisle drug me out there and mm-hmm. began doing deeper chest compressions as as tim would put it he said i goes i was just ready to break your ribs wow and i hit one more punch and i was recoiling to punch you again and you took a breath wow and, you know, long story short, I mean, it ended up an emergency landing, and then I ended up a cardiac wing. And for those people that are particularly medically fascinated by this, I was diagnosed with malignant neurocardiogenic syncope, which basically means malignant, you can die from it. Mm-hmm. Neuro's brain, cardio's heart, and syncope means out of sync. It's kind of like an adult SIDS thing. Wow. It's, it's, like a kissing cousin to fainting spells. But when you have what I have, it causes your brain to tell your heart to stop and you die. Wow. So um, the only thing that they could do, and I didn't have a heart attack, anything like that, and physically I was okay, but that syndrome means the only way they can prevent it is to give you a pacemaker. Wow. And so I ended up with a, a shiny new pacemaker in my chest. Oh my god! And now, now my second one, because they they change them out as the batteries get low. That's a good thing. And <laughs> to this day, um, even though I've never had 
an episode like that blackout whole thing ever again. Uh-huh. My pacemaker six times a day it has to, it recognizes my heart start to lower, and it intervenes and paces my heart to keep me from blacking out. Wow! Now this now I'll tell you where that's fun is that uh, I've shared my story and I do a lot of lectures for marketing classes because the book ultimately came out you know, around with a bark, uh, marketing bent. Mm-hmm. And so when they go in the marketing classes and I'm talking to the, you know, the young students there, I tell the story and then I'll let them know, say, so if at any time during my lecture today, I I flop over on the floor, I said, just give it a minute. My pacemaker will kick in and I'll be able to finish. <laughs> and I bet you get lots of terrified looks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the, the mouths drop, you know. Uh, and I said, no, I'm just joking. I'm going to be fine. And, but, uh, oh, man, that's wild. So how, yeah. how long were you out? Well, here's the thing that's really so crazy amazing about it is that for Tim, his experience was build a body on the plane. It's out. And he really couldn't estimate. I don't know, it was two minutes, three minutes, or something like that. It wasn't like five minutes or six minutes. It okay. didn't go that long. Okay. Though you could certainly blame my behavior on some, you know, blood issues to the brain. But <laughs> the, the, the thing is, is crazy is that while Tim was experiencing that, I had a very different, profound after death experience. And this is really what changed me. Okay. I mean, it changed me so much that I, I wish everybody could die and come back. Wow. So that they could really understand how to live. Mm. And, and uh, you know, again, understand the filter through which I, I was raised or the way I looked at the world. Mm-hmm. But from this, literally the, the nanosecond that my eyes rolled back in my head and my heart stopped, I felt like I literally transferred immediately from this dimension of time and space to a dimension of eternity. And in that space, I felt like I came face to face with God. And, uh, I mean, it was the most incredible experience i can't describe it at the level of depth and wonder that it was other than to say that you know i grew up like i I had already mentioned i I experienced some abuse some oppression you know and i say this lovingly um you know there's elements of of religion that even of itself and its good intentions comes with a certain levels of condemnation and and fear mm-hmm. and and i and i'd be blunt with you i i really felt like if the day i ever came face to face with god it wasn't gonna be like open arms welcome you know Billy. Mm-hmm. you know it was gonna be a finger pointing at me and accusing me of screwing up and getting mm-hmm. it wrong and doing it all the wrong way and i was gonna get read a list of all my failures. Mm. And so secretly, the, uh, I did not want to have any encounter with God whatsoever. Yeah. But I was blown away. 
instead of anything even remotely close to that, I felt like I came into the embodiment of pure love. Mm. So I, I just recently came out with a, a vlog and I talk about the idea of transformation. And, you know, there isn't uh, really a better model than transformation than looking at what happens to butterflies. And so I start digging into the kind of the physiology of it. And it was like, wow, this is so incredible. And there's really like three big things that, that I get with kind of a bonus message, really. I mean, the, I mean, the first thing is, is that the caterpillar, I think like us, are transitional beings. And as transitional beings, it's, it's that, you know, what we look like right now and, and with, with all our, you know, mistakes and, and issues and whatever like that aren't where we're supposed to end up. That every single human being truly, truly has a, a powerful purpose a powerful destiny and a literally a powerful mm. opportunity to transform not just into a better self but our best self yeah. and and but, but what that looks like is really really messy and <laughs> and so so when you look at like the butterfly there's 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 really three things that happens a caterpillar and and the first part is is a caterpillar as it gets nestled into the chrysalis yeah. The juices that were used at one point to help it digest food now turn inward. And there's parts of the caterpillar that now have to die. And so literally the juices of the caterpillar consume itself in these parts. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's, that's like us. The idea that if you want, and we love to say, oh, transformation, and it sounds all poetic, but you say, guess what? Part one, there's parts of you that have to die. There's mm. parts of you you have to let go of. There's parts of you that should not be a part of you anymore for you to be able to go to the next phase, and that is change. Because a, a caterpillar's body is slightly different, obviously, than the butterfly, and there's parts of the organs and the structure that while they remain intact, they do have to change to configure themselves in a form that are going to be conducive to this next chapter of life. And I think that's like me too. It's that, you know, if you can get to the point where say, I'm going to let go of stuff and put to death those things that are no longer a part of me, then you have to endure the pain of change. And that's another thing that a lot of us fight is, Oh, because we like things in our comfort zone. We like it familiar. But like the caterpillar, if it's going to be a butterfly, it has to be able to endure and commit to change. Mm. But the cool part is, is that the third phase is that once things have died and in the body actually starts to change, parts start to grow and develop that never, ever existed before. And that's wings. So when you think about the idea, and I believe in every human heart, there's that stirring that, that says who I'm supposed to be and the places I'm supposed to go and the lives I'm supposed to impact. You realize, yeah, 
you are destined to have wings to fly into the fulfillment of that destiny. But there is this hideous process. And probably the worst part about it is that while the butterfly and the caterpillar in that transition can do it all in the privacy of a chrysalis, we have to go through this hideous process in a very public and visible way in front of friends and family in the world. You know, so what I yeah, what I point out in the vlog is, you know, if you can overcome these three processes to do it well, you've got to give yourself grace. And we've got to give each other grace. Know that every human being you encounter is in transformation. And the best thing that we can do is one to honor that transformation and to love them through it. And boy, we're back on the subject of relationship again. It's the only meaningful way to live for me. Because anything else, I've, I've, I've noticed this about myself. Especially last week, we were in, uh, we were on vacation at Joseph, and and I could not put on any of the old artifices I had. I was like, "This is me," and these are people that are strangers to me. And I used to, because I grew up in Connecticut. There are so many layers of of expectations of others that I had to face to show up as. <laughs> yeah, and. When I was on vacation and and just in my life now, I was like, I wonder how I'm going to be on vacation. But like in my life now, I just show up. And I don't, I can't bring myself to pretend to be something I'm not. Because it's so draining on me to care about things that don't matter. And it's interesting how how as I've tuned more into myself, how many things have shifted in my life because of it, because I have this relationship with myself, because I love myself. I don't love myself fully because I'm still human, but I, I love myself a lot. I love myself a lot more than I did. And when I tune into what calls to my soul that is meaningful to me to show up in the world as, it's, I, I don't even recognize who I used to be <laughs> because I'm not listening to anyone else. I'm listening to my soul. And that's, that's been a really fascinating journey of unwinding. And I, yeah. I, I so as a follow-up, what well, did you yeah, feel they, was the most transformational the, shift the, uh, in your uh, human existence? Some of the best advice and the worst advice depending upon how we receive it, is, as my mom said, just be yourself, Billy. And I was like, oh, no, you know, if if I'm myself, people reject me, I'm going to look stupid, whatever. And and uh, so I still, I, I, I was in angst about it for a couple more days. And then I remembered the story of a famous Amos. Now, uh, if you guys have ever been to the store and you've seen famous Amos cookies, the story goes like this. Famous Amos was a casting director in Hollywood, and he would show up to meetings with a bag of his cookies. It was like his signature. And people finally said, well, Famous Amos, your cookies are so good. Why don't you, you know, you should sell these things. And of course, someone picked it up and and uh, uh, he ended up selling the cookies. 
And I thought, you know what? I make chocolate chip cookies. In fact, I make good chocolate chip cookies. I'll know. I'll make chocolate chip cookies. That's what I'll do. So an hour before I um, depart for the TV station, I had baked a batch of chocolate and I'm literally just pulling them out of the oven, getting them just firm enough to put them in a brown paper bag. And I got this stroke of brilliance. I said, and I wrote on the bag, Bill's Famous Cookies. And, and I made a little stick figure and I said, eat, eat one, you know? And in fact, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you, if you ever go to Bill'sFamousCookies.com, you'll see uh, a little story that I tell, I tell this story because I still to this day give cookies. So, so I carry them in the station and uh, I'm thinking I'm going to make the cookies. So I, 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 I get there just in time for the taping. And to my horror, I wasn't the only one. There were two other students that were invited. <gasps> and oh my gosh, the guy, the first guy, and as we walk up the stairs, he just jumps forward to, to meet the producer. His name is Mike. Ah! And Mike is like the most confident. He's got all, everything going for him. And, and he's just smart and handsome and tall and whatever. And he says, oh, hey, great to meet you. You know, you got a great station here and everything like and I'm rolling my eyes because I'm thinking, I can't be Mike. I can't be Mr. Confident. I can't. That's just not me. And, uh, right. and it turns to the next guy, and it's Jeff. Now, and I say this respectfully. <laughs> I mean, back then we would call him the class nerd because he was the techno genius. And and he literally started looking okay. around at the gear. And he's, oh, that's the XY 3300 mm -hmm. switcher. And, but you know, what? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't be Jeff. I'm not that guy, you know. And uh, the producer finally turned to me, and and oh. all I could do is I I I I put my hand out and I held my bag in my other hand. I said, "Hi, my name's Bill. Would you like a cookie?" Oh, that's so adorable. Do you know how sometimes when you make cookies and you put them in the bag and, and, and the fat kind of is dripping out of uh -huh. the bag and you kind of see there's something warm? And so he, I opened the bag and, of course, he can see their cookie and they smell oh. like rushes out of the yeah, bag. Yeah. And he reaches in, he grabs one, and the, and the chocolate chips are still a little melty. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and he takes a bite and he goes, oh, these are great. And he calls over to the technical director and goes, hey, Dale, would you like a cookie? And he goes, oh, I'd love one. So I walk over and I put my bag in front of Dale and Dale takes a cookie and he reads the bag and he goes, thanks, Bill. Oh, and he goes, well, go up to the audio person. So I go up to the audio person. There's a thanks, Bill. And, and then he calls down to the studio. Now, for me growing up, like the studio, these are like stars. For oh, me. yeah. With these people watching them. And he calls down to the studio, goes, hey, I got this kid here from the college. And uh, he brought some hot chocolate chip cookies. Do you want some? And I said, yeah, send them down. I love it. <laughs> so I go down the stairs into this literally like wonderland. And I walk around from one crew member to the next one, offering a cookie. They're like, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. So at the end of the night, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to walk out. And the producer looks over and he goes, hey, Bill, you coming back next week? Wow! And I said, "That's, a... <laughs> uh, That's awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah." And um, I came back 
for the next six consecutive weeks. And the sixth week, the producer pulls me aside. He says, hey, Bill. He said, you know, uh, we all know you here. Everybody loves you. Think you're great. And, you know, we got to pick our next intern. And I have an, uh, a stack of intern apps, you know, an inch or two thick. And frankly, if you'd like to be our summer intern, it's mm-hmm. yours. I said, uh, yeah, I'd be honored. I was like stunned. So I go back to school. I got the paperwork taken care of. I now am the summer intern here at this ABC station. And but guess what? Every Thursday night, it's hot chocolate chip cookies, hot chocolate chip cookies. And I, but I, you know, and I worked my fanny off, whatever they asked, I did it. And at the end of three months, on the literally the last day of my internship, they hired me. And that's how I ended up one of the youngest major market directors in the country. It's like, thank you, hot chocolate chip cookie. Thank you, God. Thank you, destiny. Thank you. Mr. Producer, who could see past my smart friend and my, you know, Mr. Confident friend to say, wow, you know, a hot chocolate chip cookie and a heart to serve. So. Mm, So beautiful, Bill. I love that so much because, you know, loving... For me, the two drives in my life are love and peace because I want to fully love myself and I absolutely crave peace in every shape and form. And to recognize that in my process, I've, I, I've done so many, I'll give you one example, diet. Diet is a comfort thing, right? We love eating what we love. Well, I ate beef for 40 something years. And one day my body's like, nope. What do you mean? Nope. Nope. And I started getting sick from eating hamburgers. I was like, maybe it's the buns. Maybe I'll stop eating the buns. Well, yeah, that helped, but I still didn't like the beef. So I've gone from you know, it, giving it that does. up it's, it's, and it, 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 is, uh, it doesn't uh, like the I've list I'm going to give you doesn't sound like much given uh, the multitude of uh, different foods that we have on this planet. And, and yet one thing. It, each it's, one was hell. It's, uh, so it's amazing beef, how much science sugar, is involved in baking coffee and trial gluten, and error. Soy wasn't so bad. Dairy was a nightmare. And the latest one is chicken. Don't know why. Body's just like no, because that's not part of what you're supposed well, to be. You're sending. It's like magic you don't eat in what a you way. It's like you know, because you, you know, it you no longer serves you. The covers, and all of a sudden, it but, turns into a you know a dog or something. It's, because it's like, I liked a, it. I missed pizza. Oh my gosh, I miss pizza. A cookie, but or my body doesn't mess. like it anymore. I screwed up. And um, and oh, so trying oh, to understand, and this is all flour, in the space of like five oh, years. Oh, so this I made, is, I and it's like, pies. wow, this it is a lot of transformation. I'm like, ugly. yeah, and look at all the foods I can eat that I didn't know I could eat before, right? But but because culturally, it's, what do you mean you don't eat beef yeah, anymore? Give me a shot at it. It's like, it's a horrible tragedy that my body doesn't accept this anymore, and I, I I can't explain logically why my body doesn't like this anymore. It just doesn't. 
And that's, that's when, that's part of the process of opening myself up to that higher being that I am. It's bringing things out of me that no longer serve me. And since food is such a big thing, it's been, it's been fascinating. Like I, I, I actually, I don't write it down, but I pay attention to the days where I just eat plants and how well I sleep. Versus the days that I eat fish and how that changes. And it's really because, you know, when you have that awareness, like when I have sugar now, I'm sick for a week. Because my body no longer wants it. So I've, I have monk fruit. I have raw honey on occasion. I like I've, I've learned to adapt uh, because I still want it. Like I still want to eat chocolate. So I make my own chocolate. It's, it's it gets a little ridiculous sometimes, but it's like the the point is is that if I want to ascend from these limiting beliefs that I have to have meat to exist, or I have to have dairy to exist, or I have to have whatever it is that my mind thinks I need versus what my body is telling me, I have to listen to my body. And it's such a removal of ego and limiting, limiting ideas and beliefs of what oh, I yeah. think I should Absolutely. be versus Absolutely. what I really well, am. That's what we talked about earlier, that idea that, you know, even after the most profound experiences of life, that, you know, we so desperately want life to feel like a, the flip of a switch or a microwave. You know, just set it for a minute, boom, it gets hot, it changes, it bakes, it cools, whatever, a room is illuminated, and just that's not life. Um, uh, And when you, like you talked about your value of love and peace, and being at peace with the process of personal transformation might be one of the greatest pieces and breakthroughs that any of us could ever experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. And then you revert and you go, oh my gosh, old Bill. No, okay, no, new Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I hear you. You know, the, the, uh, um, and I don't mean to sound like a motivational poster, you know, because sometimes, you know, people try it and, and with good intention to take some of the, you know, profound secrets of life. And if we can turn it into a sentence and put it on a poster with a, a kitten or a flower, you know, then, you know, the world's a better place, you know. But I'm actually on the, the board of a foundation that's cl- connected to aviation. And, uh, I always had dreamed of being a pilot, not a professional pilot, but just to be able to fly someday maybe. But it did expose me to flight and learning a little bit about the instrumentation. And one of the instruments that are like, wow, just makes so much sense is the one that tells you whether you're going up into the sky or whether you are pointed at the ground and at what rate you are. and. Yeah, and and the name of the instrument is called the attitude. 
Yeah. So it's literally labeled the attitude. And, and it's interesting because it just, from a pure physics standpoint, if the nose of the plane is pointed up, it is in fact elevating. But the minute you allow the nose to point down, it is headed to, to a crash landing. And I think, oh my gosh, it just reminds me of, you know, that being patient with the process, that transformation, you know, learn to love and be loved and all those different things, you know, in part is filtered through the way we look at the process and our attitude towards the process. And to be able to say, no, keep your nose up, be deliberate about where you're pointing. And it dramatically will change whether we elevate or we point the wrong way. And I, that's something I have to just monitor every day, every, probably every hour. Like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I see moments of it. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is so. Can I have more, please? <laughs> Oh, yeah. so I mean, I'm grateful for this process because it is an awakening process. And I'm glad that I'm on this journey. And there are times where it's like, could I just like status quo for like a day? That would be so nice. Instead of like the, the oh, look, I found something else I have to clear out. Or, and I, it's, you know, life is going to, provide you with opportunities to uh one of my mentors says life can be heaven or hell it's your choice right yeah it's it's the idea of that, that something happens and, and so choosing to see these i don't call them problems anymore they are opportunities they are opportunities to grow and sometimes it's nice if i don't have an opportunity to grow for a day <laughs> Oh yeah, because it's 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 not innate. Uh we we have an amygdala and uh it loves the fight or flight. And to get past that unconscious default into the awareness of oh look, I'm going into flight now okay or oh no look at me i'm i'm going into this this adrenal inducing state whatever it is okay what's causing that okay now i have to look at that and i have to observe it instead of like i can feel the feelings because that's an important thing like feeling the feelings but not getting taken down with the story of the feelings you know, we kind of get high on dopamine for the wrong reasons. It's it's interesting. It's 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 one of the uh, small points I bring up in the book because I I relate, you know, both mm -hmm. my death experience to the world of advertising and marketing and recognizing that if you were to apply these principles of a relationship, they're like these seven disciplines that you apply, and certainly one of them has to do with this idea of, of what does trigger us to act. And using the old advertising rule, you know, we used to have what we call the seven touch point, where if you have seven touch points with a certain frame of time, it literally like forms a, a, 
a dopamine hit mm-hmm. that creates a a tattoo on your psyche that allows you to start associating obviously people too but but brands and marketing in in experiences mm-hmm. to a pleasurable thing but i'm on the board with a a dear dear friend his name's captain charlie plum and captain plum was in vietnam and he was imprisoned in the hanoi hilton for 6 years and hideously tortured the stories he told me literally just made me shudder in horror that any human being could do that to another human being oh. and a lot of us have heard about things like ptsd where you know and it's kind of like the opposite of 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 having your set your your tattoo excuse me, your psyche tattooed with the tat, tat, tat of repeated exposures. It's literally mm-hmm. like, a sh- like, a, like a nuclear blast that tattoos your psyche in a single instance. And um, but Charlie pointed out an amazing fact among the Vietnam veterans who are imprisoned. And uh, it was a ph- phenomenon they now identify as Traumatic, uh, post-traumatic growth, or PTG. Wow. And what they're finding, and it's a shocking percentage of those people that were imprisoned during the Vietnam War, that mm-hmm. they came back stronger. They came back with a level of strength and understanding and resolve and commitment and these qualities that made them you know, profound servants, profound public servants, profound leaders. And, and it really opens up the door. You talk about the amygdala and that idea of, of friend or foe, fight or flight, and those things that are in our psyche to protect us, that in the right settings, we don't have to be victimized by Mm -hmm. uh, those instinctive triggers. But in fact, we can be modified to be stronger. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, in the big picture, it's profound and exciting. You know, in, in the case of uh, my book, the, the Seven Disciplines of Relationship Market, I, I refer to it as kind of being how can you connect with people more effectively if you are a business or you are a marketer or you know, anything that you're doing in your life that is intended to engage in the lives of others, mm-hmm. we can be really deliberate about making multiple tattoo-ish experiences, but we can also look for those profound opportunities to have a dramatic impact in a positive way on people's lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really opened up the door to how we approach not only you know life, but uh, marketing and business, and and those precious relationships that aren't just about a transaction, but right. to recognize that we have an opportunity of creating transformation, even in everyday work. Hmm. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're doing this. Oh, thank you, thank you. As you know, <laughs> I am. I'm still that caterpillar, but. 
we're enduring <laughs> we're enduring the change and and excited to see what the next chapter looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to a conscious, a conscious capitalism meeting last month just because I was curious, and it blew me away how business is shifting because it's for me, it's me, right? I'm self-employed and, and so I do, what I do is just my own thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have three TerraCycle boxes. I compost, I do all this stuff for me. I could always treat my employee better, (laughs) but seeing that this is a shift in awareness of how companies should operate. Like, treating their employees better? What are they giving back to the community? How are they cultivating better relationships? It's, it's just, it feels to me that there is this conscious shift globally that's happening where the old way of capitalism doesn't work anymore. And it's not like, okay, what's the new thing? And and this is what the conscious capitalism is coming out of. It's like, okay, so this is the model that is going to work now of where you actually like, I'll give this example, Thrive Market. They they buy things in bulk for discount for members. You pay your membership. And when you buy a membership, you give a membership to somebody who couldn't otherwise afford it. That's a great idea. It's amazing. And then they have gluten-free, sugar-free, like they have all these different dietary things for your for your food needs. And then when you buy something, you can give like a percentage of your purchase to buy something for someone else if you feel so inclined. And they're still making a profit and their employees are doing well and they've got a bigger vision. Yeah, because they see that there's a need that needs to be filled and they can fill it. And and since I mean, other than showing up for myself and having this amazing podcast to help people, I look for other ways where I can show up and contribute to the world in a meaningful way, because it's important to my soul. And I I would say it's whether we recognize it or not, it's important to everybody's soul. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the and, and it's hard to put it in the term like, oh, here's you know a capitalistic system versus a socialistic system versus. It's I think that uh, the greatest challenge hasn't been in the system, but in the idea of the difference between transaction versus transformation. Versus uh, caring about my needs versus living a life to be able to serve and operate in harmony with your needs. Mm-hmm. To recognize that a customer or a client isn't about who's going to buy from me, but it, this is a privilege for me to find somebody that I have the privilege of serving. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's that the heart now granted all of us have selfish elements. I mean, we you like know, to eat. you know, the, yeah, the hierarchy of needs, you know, still is relevant yeah. about that. We do have needs and, and we do spend a significant amount of time meeting our needs, but those needs we're finding out are most powerfully met by honoring other people's needs mm-hmm. and connecting and serving. 
you know, so when you when you you know mention that model, it, it's tragic but exciting at the same time that it is somewhat revolutionary. That it that's revolution. I mean, it's tragic. It's revolutionary, but it's exciting that it is getting back to I think at the heart of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And you say, "Oh my gosh!" I I mean, this sounds a little crude, so I don't know if you've got a rating on this, but <laughs> I've had I've had some swears in there, so don't yeah, worry about. I'll it. I'll try to drop any f bombs, but I'll just say that <laughs> you know, I, you know, I grew up in a world where a lot of people would think I, I'm going to be a a nine to five ass, so I can be a five to nine saint. Mm. And yeah. somehow there's yeah that we that we bifurcate, you know, goodness taking versus giving. Mm-hmm. And yeah, from nine to five, we basically, I think a lot of people tragically sold out for the sake of having the privilege of being a philanthropist or a giver or whatever it is from five to nine. And to say, mm-hmm. our life doesn't have to be that way, that we can have a fully integrated life of serving while sustaining mm-hmm. of uh, of giving and growing mm-hmm. that these aren't mutually exclusive right. this literally can be a, a a harmonious and powerful way to live and when, and when we do that and here's the tough part is that you know you talk about your, the value of peace it's the recognition that there's different people at different levels of grasping this mhm and if uh, you look at maybe the Bill Dolan of my youth, you might say, I'm not really fond of that guy. <laughs> and in fact, there was times that seriously, I was the kid that, that you did not want. I mean, parents would say, don't play with that kid. Oh. I mean, I, I definitely had some rough patches in my childhood that was not good. And, but I can now give grace to that person because mm-hmm. I now know who that person's becoming. Right. And to be able to look in the eyes of even people that, boy, we disagree with mm-hmm. and we think you're way off or whatever, that we can be at peace with, wow, right now they're not looking real pretty. They still can be loved. They can still be honored. They can still be respected in the raw process that they're in even though that process is kind of hideous to watch. Right. Because it is for all of us. It is, it's everybody. Crud, no one has it. We can't point fingers. We just can't. No, no. And it's, it's, it's so, for me, um, as I have become more aware of how I judge myself and others, when I hear myself judge, it hurts me because I realize that I'm like in the process of judging another, I'm judging myself and it just feels icky. Like it just doesn't resonate anymore because if I'm if I am embodying the peace and love that I strive for, I have to love it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
No, not there yet. No, not there yet. No, <laughs> working no, on it. <laughs> and, it, and, and it could be that again that if there is someone, someone in in the listening audience that said, "Look, my life has been filled with you know daisies and sunshine, <laughs> and just by some fluke, I was born near perfect." Uh, God bless you. Please call in. Talk to Dr. Erica. <laughs> we, def- we definitely want to, you know, do some, oh, you know, you aside and do some testing. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, uh, well, Bill, I think that uh, I've taken up enough of your time and I'm so grateful for this conversation. Oh, thank you. It's one, well, you know, I love you. Absolutely love you. So I when do. you call and say, you Hey, too. you want to do this? It's like, I, yeah, I, I would just, just be honored. And, and it's just been fun. You know, it's like one catching up Aww. with a dear friend and having a chance to chat. I, I mean, my old prayer is that, you know, that, uh, whoever it, it took the time to listen to this, that they had as much fun as we did. Mm, me too. Me too. Oh, such an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. You're welcome. The action item for the week is to tune into what grace means for you. How do you allow it to flow within and for others? This is just to bring awareness in for you. Until next week, I wish you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste. Can you help me redefine truth and preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. And let it flow.